What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of the Compulsive Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Widom, as always. You can find this podcast and myself at compileswift.com. We have a very interesting episode today. I have been looking forward to this one, and I've been playing with these tools that we're going to talk about here. And I think this is something that's going to be of interest to a lot of you, because um, we're talking about uh, cross-compiling Swift code here. Now, we are very used to hearing how you know you have these cross-platform tools, and they publish out to iOS. This is kind of the reverse. I've got Abe and Mark with me here today. Uh, what's up, guys? If you would like to take it in turns and introduce yourselves. Sure. Well, thank you for having us, Peter. Uh, my name is Mark, Mark Prudimo, and I'm one half of the team that is making up uh, Skip Tools, Skip.Tools. And um, yeah, we're working through a technical preview of a, of a uh, product that I think we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it for me. And my name is Abe White, and I am the other half of Skip.Tools. All right. So I have um, played with this a bit, and I've, I've been talking to on my live stream and that the audience about this because this is this is fascinating. When I saw this come up in um, a Slack, I think it was, if I remember correctly, and this immediately caught my attention because this was one of those things that I thought to my, you know, it's one of those dreams where you're like, wouldn't this be great if someone or somehow we could do this? And then you think that's never going to happen. And then a tool comes along. Go ahead and give us an overview of, you know, what we're going to talk about here, right? The, the skip tool. So skip is a new tool that we've developed that allows you to take your Swift UI application and more or less run it on Android. And the mechanism that we use for this is using Xcode's new plugin capability to take all your Swift code and transpile it from Swift into Kotlin and then link up equivalents of those frameworks. For example, Foundation links up to the Java Foundation and the Swift UI framework links up to Jetpack Compose. And then transpile all that, compile it into an Android application, and then you can run it and debug it on your Android uh, device emulator um, side by side with your Swift app. And that's more or less what the product does. Whoever wants to jump in here, uh, first of all, let's talk about you know the, how this came to be and, and how you thought, you know, oh, there, there is a need for this tool. Well, I'll let Abe give a little bit of the background because it has evolved over the past, I'd say, around 18 months. Yeah, so about uh, a little over a year ago, uh, I resigned from my former position and contacted Mark because we worked on things in the past. The last time was over a decade ago, so it's been a while, but I've always really enjoyed working with him. And we had similar ideas about uh, mobile development. And we started down one path, and as so often happens, we ended up pivoting, not because that path wasn't working. In fact, it was looking fairly promising. But the entire time we were developing that previous project, we didn't know what our cross-platform story would be. We were focused on iOS. We knew we were going to do that first. And we kept thinking, what is the Android side of this going to look like? And Mark would throw out ideas for how we might be able to make this work on Android. And they were all very ambitious ideas. And every time I would, you know, see it and I would say, hmm, you know, that would be amazing if we could do that, but it's just not going to work for X, Y, and Z. And I would also caveat it by saying, and if we could build something that would do that, well, that would be an amazing product for everyone. We should just pivot to that because then we'd solve this cross-platform problem that so many iOS developers like us have is that you want to write using iOS, the iOS tool chain, you enjoy it but you want an Android story as well. And so finally, he came to me with uh, the idea that turned into Skip. And uh, this one I couldn't shoot down immediately. <laughs> uh, so we began, this was uh, close to a year ago, the beginning of, beginning of this year, to, to try to shoot it down, to prototype rapidly, just over and over, trying to find out why this idea won't work. And we couldn't. Every, every step of the way, we would you know, see a hurdle and we'd be able to jump over it. And so what you see now is just the, the product of, of sort of that initial prototyping followed by a period of, holy moly, this is actually going to work. And we buckled down and just began to actually productize it. Very nice. Well, like I say, you know, I, it, it feels 
very polished from the perspective of following very simple setup instructions, I have to say, and then essentially, you know, opening up um, an app in or creating an app in Xcode and start using Swift UI and, and, and away you go, right? Now, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about some of that setup there so that folks understand how this works. And the reason I think that's important is anytime I've used any tool that essentially ends up compiling across or transpiling to another platform, there's always um, some extra steps that you have to go through, right? So for example, um, a common one would be something like uh, game tools that I use, right? So I would work in, say, Unity, and I would export it to, you know, the iOS platform that essentially gives me an, an Xcode project, and then I have to go in there, and I have to do a whole bunch of things to really make it work, and then compile, and then run on the device or in a simulator. But in the case of yours, um, you know, the requirements here are pretty straightforward in that all I I already had Android Studio installed. So, I mean, that was a bonus. But other than installing Android Studio to get, a, you know, an Android simulator, um, or in my case, I used a device as well, but to get to, to basically ADB, um, that was pretty much it. So, you know, talk about the setup and how, you know, how painful was it to to get to the point that you could simplify it enough that you looked at it and go, you know what? I think I think folks could do this. Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, the tooling is super important to us and we don't control any of it, right? We we leverage Xcode. You know, Swift developers, they're going to be developing their apps in Xcode and launching in the iOS simulator. There's really no getting around that. So it was a no-brainer. We're not going to write our own IDE. So what we do is we leverage the new plugin support that Swift Package Manager and Xcode provide. Um, as of, I believe it was Swift 3.4 and got, got more enhanced now. Um, and so what we do is we just sort of stand on top of that so that every time you make any changes to your Swift, we transpile it over to, you know, the Kotlin. Um, in addition, we transpile your Swift Package Manager project into the equivalent Android Gradle project configuration, which is the Swift Package Manager of the Android world. Um, and so you always have a sort of existing, up-to-date, runnable Android product that is a byproduct of your standard Xcode build. And that's really the sort of the foundational underpinnings of making that a transparent, no-configuration kind of process. Um, and then sort of layered on top of that, the, the application that we initialize using the skip command line tool when you first create an application uh, then creates, you know, a stage of the build phase that says, okay, now compile this using the Gradle tool. And, you know, that will do all the things that Gradle does with dependencies and talking to Compose and stuff like that, and then launching it in the Android simulator. Um, you know, we, we get a benefit because we don't tout ourselves as a cross-platform solution. We say we are a dual-platform solution. So, you know, we only support development on macOS because that's where the iOS simulator runs. Um, and we only support Android and iOS. So we don't have, you know, a dozen different targets and project formats to export to and run. We have these two things that we just run side by side. Yeah, and I think that's important too because it enables you to focus, you know, on by defining those specific areas and not being one of those um, tools or, you know, more often frameworks that tries to target everything and, and tries to be the you know, the everything tool. Um, and then, like you say, you know, sometimes even with its own third-party IDE and things like that, you you end up with more of a management nightmare, not only from your perspective, but from my perspective as well as the developer, as opposed to this very simple, straightforward, bring this package into Xcode. Um, for better or worse, I'm always using Xcode anyway. So I'm on sort of home turf, as it were, and I feel comfortable there, and I've got this package, and everything else happens under the hood for me. So it sounds like the the real key here was definitely th this introduction, and you know, hopefully, uh, expansion of plugin support within Xcode, making any of this possible. Is is that sort of how this works? Yeah. So you know, as we say, we we leverage the build 
plugin support of Xcode. Um, there's also a command plugin aspect to it that we're not really using because it's fairly limited at this point. But as that kind of evolves, you know, there are you know a number of Swift evolution proposals I think that might go into Swift 6.0 or something. We'll be able to take advantage of that. But you know, we were kind of surprised. We we have this whole configuration format for how you might you know, affect the transpilation, like if you want to tweak these knobs and bells and stuff. But we've really found that a zero configuration approach has been sufficient. You know, this Swift, no matter what, always transpiles into this Kotlin. And and that's worked out pretty well for us so far. And we've gotten fairly far with the project. And I have to say, it's really fast. You know, I'm, I'm okay, so I'm running it here on a, I got a 14-inch MacBook Pro. It's the M1 Pro Max, whatever they called it, chip. You know, and of course, plenty of, RAM because it's development machine, but even by those standards, uh, it was really fast. I, you know, I've I I also work with um, in Android Studio, and also with uh, React Native. And on either of those, you know, even talking straight up Android here, um, they're slower than this the way this works. And, and you know, it, it was one of those where it was so fast. You know, you have those moments where you sort of look at something, you're like. Well, wait. Did it did it work? Did it finish? <laughs> you know, um, and then it popped up in in the uh, in the simulator, and I was like, okay, it, it must be that fast. And what I love about that, and what I think it's important for people to understand, it is almost kind of a real time process, right? I was changing, you know, okay, granted, I didn't have a super complex app because it was really a proof of concept, prove it works. But even then, I was changing some Swift UI layout file, saving it, running the build, and it was, you know, very comfortably fast. So, you know, 10 out of 10 guys for for making it work that way. You know, this was very comfortably fast, I, I have to say. So, you know, talk about that. Was there, was kind of speed and optimization a goal or is it more of a side effect of, hey, it's great. It just happens to work that quickly. I would say it's some of both. Uh, one thing, I mean, Mark mentioned that we're leveraging the build plugin system from Xcode. We're also leveraging Apple's Swift syntax library to do the Swift parsing. That's the same library that you now use to build Swift macros. So they've spent a lot of time optimizing that for speed so that parsing your Swift doesn't take too long. Uh, we've obviously done some work on the transpilation process as well. I remember the initial time that we profiled it uh, we saw definitely saw some some red spots. Uh, I think we sped up certain things by like thirty times or, or more. Um, so you know, just being able to optimize those away, we've ended up with something that we feel comfortable with. I actually develop on a fourteen inch M1 with only sixteen gigs of RAM, and uh, I'm working in Skip you know all day, uh, working on. We're, we're the biggest customers right now because a lot of our frameworks that Skip uses are actually written in Swift and transpiled with our own transpiler. Uh, into Kotlin and Compose. So, uh, yes, uh, we're, we're proud of its speed right now. We think there's room for improvement, like as in everything, but uh, we have put some work into there, into that. And uh, Mark can speak more to the tooling side. Yeah, I mean, the, the development experience is really paramount to us. You know, Abe and I both know, we've both been doing this for over 15 years, that to develop a serious app, you're rebuilding it hundreds or thousands of times every day. I mean, you know, that you can do so much with previews and designs and things like that. But really, it just comes down to you're building it and running it and building it and running it and then you're building it and testing it and building it and running it. And that's really, that's your life, right? You're living in an IDE and you're doing that. And we wanted that for two platforms on one IDE. And so it was really important to us that we don't sort of introduce this great drag on the Android side. Um, and so, you know, we're, you know, the Swift syntax library is very fast. Um, and so that's great for parsing. It's like as fast as you can get. Um, and then, you know, we incrementally output changes to the sort of mirror Gradle project, you know, Kotlin project structure that we output so that then the Gradle build process, which happens before it deploys onto the Android simulator device, um, is also optimized, you know, only outputs the files that are changed and things like that. So the Gradle process, which, um, you know, isn't always the fastest thing in the world, is able to do it pretty quickly, um, rebuild it, update, you know, your APK file deployed to the simulator and then run it so that you've got two apps side by side within 10 seconds of, of rebuilding a, a normal project is, is kind of our goal. Yeah, you, you nailed it because, you know, like, like us, I mean, 
we often joke about it, right? Anyone that uses Xcode and builds apps, you know, the the joke is always you hit the, the, the build button, you either go home for the night or, or go to lunch or whatever, and then you come back and hopefully it's finished, you know, so so that's great. Well, I was just going to say, and, and that's a big part of our sort of modularization philosophy as well, because we don't just support an Xcode project with an app. We support the entire sort of transitive dependencies of Swift package manager modules. So you can subdivide your app up into, you know, dozens or hundreds of modules that are like, how many did Twitter have that you would link into <laughs> the total app? I bet it was a lot. Um, and so you're able to compartmentalize that. And then once, you know, a module is stable and not being rebuilt, then there's zero, you know, overhead in recompiling that. So we, we spent a lot of effort in making sure this sort of scales up, not just to like, you know, an app where everything is in a single Swift package manager module, but things that are spread throughout other modules. Because our own our own bridging frameworks themselves, things that turn foundation calls into Java, you know, foundation calls and the things that turn Swift UI into Jetpack Compose, those are on the Android side runtime libraries that we also need to make sure get built fast. Time for a break. Hey everybody, it's Peter Whittem here from the Compile Swift Podcast. I'm gonna tell you about setup. Setup is a service that provides a subscription fee of just $10 a month, and you get access to over 200 Mac applications, and it's also available now on iOS as part of that deal. I use the service because it just has a ton of really good first-rate apps that I use all the time. And for me, it's invaluable as a developer to have access to tools for things like APIs, for planning projects, uh, writing emails, writing documentation. And you can get all of these things, including database apps, all of that kind of stuff, right there on the setup service for just $10 a month. You can use as many or as few applications as you need. If you're interested in checking this out, go to peterwidham.com, P-E-T-E-R-W-I-T-H-A-M.com forward slash setapp, S-E-T-A-P-P. And you can see the details there. And it's got a link that you can go over and start using the service and see how it works out for you. I strongly recommend this to every Mac user. Break time over. Given that it's it works um, it, essentially at the build phase, is this something that can only be run uh, locally, meaning you can't use, for example, Xcode in the cloud? Or is that a, is that a possibility now or... A future plan? So it does run in the cloud actually quite quite well. We use GitHub Actions, the free version, because our frameworks themselves are all free software. Um, and it works great. You know, it builds, transpiles, it runs the test cases. We, you know, one of the aspects of our software is that we transpile not just your app, we also transpile your XC unit test cases into equivalent test cases. Um, so it's constantly running those in all of our frameworks. So it works great in the continuous integration environments that we've tested, which is so far is just GitHub. I don't know right now if we'll work in Xcode Cloud. I think it will based on my preview of their documentation and what they support. More or less anything you can do in an Xcode project, you can do there. So I don't see it not working. And if it doesn't, then I don't see it being a big leap to get it working there because we'd like it to work there. I get that feeling from, from Apple and you know just the way things work in general, that as more and more things try to offload into the cloud and you kind of get that feeling that the idea here is let let the heavy lift be on a server somewhere right or, or some remote machine and you know we'll all be using laptops or whatever it may be that are not as powerful because we don't need the power locally i think that's going to be important as we sort of progress forward with these things and you kind of get that impression that's what apple's hoping everybody wants to do Right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, well, remains to be seen, but hey, we'll, we'll see what happens there. So I'm glad you mentioned the tests because I was going to ask about the testing as well. You want to talk about that? That must be a whole other problem to deal with right there, right? Yeah. It, in some ways, it was a huge, you know, effort. In other ways, it was sort of surprisingly simple. Um, you know, in the in the Java Kotlin world, the standard for testing is this JUnit library, which has various functions called like assert equals and assert greater than. Uh, and so when we sort of first tackled the testing thing, it's like, well, why don't we just take XC units, you know, XCT assert greater than and turn it into that. And that's what we're still doing. And it works great. Um, we do it for all our frameworks. And um, 
and not just with tests that we write, for example, our skip foundation framework that provides the bridging of things like, you know, calendar and date and UUID and data and like all this, all those sort of building blocks of any modern Swift app and turns those into the equivalents that run on Android and Java, you know, in the Java environment in Kotlin. All the tests that we have for those are actually Apple's own tests for their own core foundation classes. Okay. And we brought them in and we just transpiled them as part of the project in general. And so all of those tests are running against all of our foundation. Um, you know, they're not all passing now because it's not a complete project yet. Sure. But we have that same sort of guarantee that the same test will, you know, run and pass both in the Swift environment and also the exact same logic taking place in the Kotlin environment. Okay, cool. And one of the questions that came up when I was, I was talking to folks about this and, and they said, oh, you know, be sure to ask the question. So um, how deep does this go? Now, what I mean by that is, you know, I've, from my own first-hand experience, I can clearly see, okay, I can put in Swift UI, I can put in Swift UI controls. They're going to work just fine. Um, I can use the Swift language for the business layer and, and, you know, all of those kind of things. That's all going to work fine too. Is there any areas, you know, kind of for the users right now that would, you know, be the advice would be trade carefully or some things that you've not been able to to have transpile across? Yeah, there's there's a good chunk of things that wouldn't transpile yet or just wouldn't function. So our philosophy is to keep the transpilation as simple as possible, and that focuses on just covering the features of the Swift language itself. And then everything else, we move into libraries. So if you make a call to some API in your Swift, it's going to remain a call to that API in Kotlin, and then we have a library that should mirror that, mirror that Swift API and then implement it on top of Kotlin or Java or Compose. Um, so our job is not only to write the transpilation process, but also to mirror all those APIs. So we have to make sure that when you call, you know, URL session something, that we have an equivalent URL session in the Kotlin world that will field that call and act appropriately. And that is, as you imagine, a monumental task that we're hoping as uh, Skip uh, becomes more popular that we get contributions from the community to help us with because uh, those libraries are all open source. Um, so yes, there's there's plenty right now that we just haven't been able to write the implementations for on the Kotlin side, and you will certainly run into those things, you know, as you develop a more and more sophisticated app. That's great, though, and the fact that you know you're open to taking uh, contributions from from folks to contribute to the code base and um, you know extend and fill those gaps is is great because I think you know certainly one of the things over the years that has stood out to me is. Uh, you know, the, the Swift community, for example, is great at supporting each other. And anytime there's value in something, you know, there's always someone who's like wants to step up and help and, you know, help fill in those gaps with their, and their knowledge and, uh, you know, contributions to code base and documentation and things like that. So that's great. One of the things that comes up occasionally, again, React Native here, because it's the one where it always seems to get me the most is when we're talking to hardware. So if I'm writing like a, you know, a, a React Native app and I want to access the camera, invariably on one of the two platforms, there's something I have to overcome. But it sounds like uh, in this case, you know, I would just write my code as if I was accessing the, you know, an iPhone camera. And in the background, um, it sounds like that essentially you take care of that and you say, okay, right now, I happen to know that on the Android platform, it needs to be this and you do the translation. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, it would be correct if we supported the camera yet. Which... Oh. <laughs> bad, bad example, Peter. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely high on our priority list. So, so there are different levels of APIs we want to provide compatibility for, right? Like we want to provide as much of foundation and as much of Swift UI sort of out of the box. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got a, a pretty large chunk of both of those, you know, implemented. You can do, I would say at this point, most things in Swift UI, you have some representation that is going to work in the transpiled Kotlin Jetpack Compose. But then on top of that, right, there's a lot of system level APIs that are part of all sorts of different, yeah. you know, embedded frameworks like, you know, AV Foundation, um, you know, and, and all, all those things. Um, and those aren't just going to work out of the box without some work on the part of us or on the community. Um, and so that's sort of one of our rationale for 
for having that be sort of free and open source, that side of the product is that, you know, if you want something to work, here you go, you know, you can improve on this, you can make this new thing included in your app, and everyone else can use it. To your question, that is more or less correct, right? When there are equivalent APIs that you can access on Android, you know, if we can provide a, uh, you know, an API that is already part of, you know, the iOS SDK, then we will. If not, um, for, you know, for example, uh, we have a Lottie animation component um, and we have a, a SQL component that you can use to access the database. There are no standard APIs on iOS for either of those. And so we make our own in those cases. So in, the, in those cases, you would import our own framework that we've written in order to work transparently both on the iOS side and on the Android side. Okay, great. Yeah, no, I, and I get it. Like you say, it's early days. Um, but at least it's always nice to hear that, you know, you're thinking about these things and th they may not be immediately on the roadmap, but it's, you know, something that's sort of put in there as we'll look at this or talk about this in the future. So that, that's great. Well, I was going to say one of the, one of the sort of advantages of this tech preview period that we're in right now is that more or less anyone who comes to us saying, you know, why isn't this supported? We bend over backwards to try to implement it as quickly as possible because we know it'll be needed eventually. And so if we have someone who's interested in it, you know, the minute they express interest, we're going to try to get something working for them. We also, from the beginning, a large point of emphasis and an advantage of our transpilation strategy has been the ease of integration with each platform. So on the iOS side, of course, if you need to access some API that we don't support yet, you can just do it. We have uh, blocks we call if-skip blocks, but they are compiler directives similar to an if-debug, you know, pound if, and you can put skip or not skip to include or exclude that chunk of code from the Android side of the build. So if you want to do something that's only available on iOS, you just put if not skip, put all your code there, just regular iOS code, It'll work just fine on the iOS side of your app. And if you want to do something that's only available on Android, or if you need to uh, embed pure you know, calls to Android APIs because we don't have something that, that is a common API layer over both languages, like accessing the camera, um, then you can just put it in an if-skip block, um, call those Kotlin or Java or whatever APIs directly from your Swift, and they will work because uh, that code will only go to the Android side of the project um, and allows you just really just seamless integration with any sort of Kotlin or Java APIs that you want to use. And similar with Compose, if you want to just embed Compose calls, oh, you can do that as well. Yeah. So you can, drop, you can drop directly down into the Kotlin right in line there um, in kind of some funny looking Swift because really you're just calling Kotlin APIs directly, uh, but it works great, right? Especially, you know, at this phase when there might be some direct Android APIs you need to call just as if you're in Kotlin, you get those back and then you, you know, you operate on that logic, you know, if skip this, you know, otherwise do the iOS uh, branch. Yeah, you can also just include direct uh, Kotlin files into your project if you like, and that will just become part of your Android build, and then you can call those APIs that you've made in Kotlin uh, in Android Studio from your Swift code. Perfect, because you have answered my very next question that I, I had from folks, which was, um, hey, can I can I bring in my my Kotlin code if I need to, or if I want to, or if I've got some existing library that I made, um, so, so there you go, folks. That they've, they've answered your question, which is, oh yeah, they they, they already thought of that. See, you know, that was funny enough. One of the things that immediately came up when I was talking to people about this was this idea of, but what if I've already got something and I want to take that part of it across? And and so it sounds like the answer is, okay, do that. <laughs> you know, don't don't make a new will unless you feel you need to just just use the existing one so that's great i think that's a really important feature yeah, yeah and and that you know applies to some of our own frameworks like i mentioned the lottie animation player framework like those are two separate gigantic there is you know uh, animation format sort of uh, made by airbnb it's a derivation of adobe motion but it's very popular in a lot of apps that have a lot of cute animations like duolingo and things like that um and that's a great component. There's a Compose component and there's an iOS component. And we just sort of include those whole, you know, wholly within within our skip motion uh, plugin and then delegate to each of those with the, you know, appropriate parameters for that platform based on sort of the higher level parameters that you use to, to build up this component. 
And that's kind of our philosophy for approaching integrating existing components um, that we're going to be using for a lot of things is that we're not going to expect these really sophisticated, low level, you know, high performance uh, uh, components to be transpiled from Swift into Kotlin, partly because a lot of them aren't in Swift. They're in Objective-C or they're in C or something like that. Um, but all the very popular things will surface, you know, some level of granularity towards both iOS and Kotlin. And then we can sort of encapsulate that in some of these, you know, this constellation of the Skip ecosystem projects and then be able to provide these useful kind of drop-in components, similar to how a lot of the other sort of cross-platform yeah, frameworks it, do it. Yeah, it is a, an interesting, strange world we live in, right? Because um, you, you, you pretty much summed it up there. You know, it, we are essentially at this point, Objective-C into some form of Swift across to Kotlin. And, you know, it, it's not even... We haven't progressed far enough down the timeline yet to just be Swift to Kotlin, right? Um, and and it's funny because it's very easy sometimes to forget there's an awful lot of Objective-C going on under the hood still. And um, some of it's going to be there yeah. probably for years, right? Um, so, you know, that's a whole other level of complexity, I guess, sometimes that, you know, you have to deal with. And I, I mean, would imagine that every time, every year when WWDC comes around, you know, for you guys, it's going to be, all right, what have they done to two languages this year, right? And then you've got the Google one on top, and what have they done to Kotlin? So I don't envy your task at all. <laughs> um, but very nice, very nice. So it, is it also a case of, uh, and I guess you, you've probably already answered this, but let me ask the question directly. If I've got a Kotlin file then, um, you know, and I've got some view, some logic, um, and that it sounds like I can just use that in the app um, by pulling it in. Is it also um, a case of I could do the majority of my work in Xcode, you know, make my iOS app um, and then, you know, look to, to essentially do this transpile across to uh, Kotlin? And if I need to, can I... Is it something I can open up in, say, Android Studio or your tool of choice and finish it off there or add any extra parts that I need? Is that is that an option um, or does it have to be, you know, no, you've really got to sort of do it at the Xcode stage? No, uh, you can definitely open it in Android Studio. We do that often ourselves, especially uh, when working on Skip UI, which is our Swift UI layer. Uh, because you get the niceties when you're working on the compose side, like the code completion, you know, the automatic imports, things like that. Um, you know, there are gotchas there where if you're working uh, on your own Kotlin files that will be included in the project, then yeah, go all in on Android Studio, do whatever you want. You have no fear of any us interfering with it in any way. If you are playing with the Swift files and playing with you know the what calls you need to make there, um, the transpiled Swift files, I should say. Then the next time you transpile, you know we'll, we're going to overwrite whatever you just did. So you know you, you, you've got to decide how to sort of divide up the project. Um, but it's definitely designed so that you could have a whole Android team, you know, customizing things for Android, working in Android Studio uh, on the Kotlin files that you just call from from you know certain plugin points in your Swift. I was going to say, yeah, I mean it's designed so that you can develop sort of in tandem. You know, Xcode is our primary IDE. We accept, expect and hope that most people will, you know, be find it sufficient, the Swift that they can do. But in addition, you can launch, at, you know, in Android Studio um, in order to do things like, you know, develop directly, but also to run the debugger and stuff like that. You know, that's a big, you know, point, right? If you, When you're launching the Android half of the app in, from Xcode, there's no debugger support. It's not going to drop down at the debugger if yeah. a crash happens. You're not going to be able to investigate things. So when you get to the level of debugging, that's really when we expect you to say, okay, hand off this, you know, Gradle project, open it in Android Studio, and then, you know, get down to the nitty-gritty details of really low-level Android that, debugging that's good. and developing. Yeah, which, which is another advantage of uh, us being open source and using transpilation in general is that you have access to all the source of your app. You know, we take your Swift, we turn it into Kotlin, you might have your own Kotlin files, all of that is available to you. And then if 
you know, you need to dig down into what are we doing to implement this certain Swift UI call in our compose layer, you have access to that source as well. So we, we're trying to make the debugging story uh, as, as simple as possible because, as we all know, that's that's a big part of our lives as software. I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a hosting company that I use for a lot of my projects, and I'm going to tell you, rather than just the usual thing that you hear on adverts, I'm going to tell you exactly how I use it. It is so simple to set up. You just log in, and I can set up very quickly with a few clicks whatever kind of instance I need on a server with whatever OS or pre-installed apps. I'm going to give you a perfect example here. It is so easy to set up Swift on the server-side Vapor, and I did that recently, and it, it was painless. You know, I went in there and I set it up, and before you knew it, my Swift app, I was bouncing off the APIs that I had created on the server-side and testing everything that I needed to be tested. But you don't have to use it for projects just like that. You can really use it to host anything you want for any length of time because you're really only paying for the resources as you use them. You're not paying ahead. And they have 14 globally distributed data centers and 99.99% uptime. I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to peterweedham.com forward slash D-O-C-E-A-N, that's D-Ocean, and that'll give you some free credits to get started with. And that's good because you also address there an, another um, issue that we have to deal with these days, right? Not, like you say, first of all, you've got the bonus of the debugging, right? Um, and you can still call on, um, you know, the, the, the Android side of the house if you have one for their expertise and resolving issues, figuring out problems. Um, you know, maybe they're making libraries for you to use, things like that. So there's none of that concern of, you know, we, we hear this all the time these days, you know, um, X replacing Y, right? Oh, we don't need the Android developers now because they're going to use this and they'll, you know, uh, transpile it across. So the iOS developers, um, and that's really not the case, right? You know, it's the same same argument right now with like AI, right? No, AI is not going to replace everybody's job. Someone's still got to do it um, and things like that. Now, right, right. the other part here that's important because like you mentioned about the source code is security, right? This concern, a valid concern, I think, um, and something we should be more concerned about than we used to be, which is anytime I use some dependency or some third-party something that's doing you know untold things to my source code um there's that element of trust but there's also that element of depending on the kind of apps you build companies you work for things like that um it's not always a straightforward process of oh they're they're just gonna let me use this library and everything will be fine right security you know has a huge problem with that as well they should, right? You know, um, so by having the source code available, you immediately solve that problem of, hey, if you've got questions, go look in the source code, right? You know, and, and reach out and ask communities and everything else. But the fact that it's there and available, a lot of the time, you know, lowers those concerns and those awkward discussions you have to have with the security team to convince them that, I really need this framework, this library to do this thing, right? Um, so, you know, again, thank you for, for doing this in a way that anybody can, dive, you know, dive in, take a look at it and, and feel comfortable with it as well and understand what, what it's doing and, and learn how it's doing it as well. Yeah, I mean, people are really looking twice at their kind of software supply chains and looking at some of, especially in some of these environments where they have extremely promiscuous wide you know supply chains like say the node environment um you know where things are depending on all sorts of other things um and so we we're taking kind of an approach of we want sort of smaller more coarse grained kind of apple framework style modules that'll all be open source people can both contribute to it they can audit it they can fork it and use it um you know they can improve on it you know locally for themselves um and it's really intrinsic to you know the project that every aspect of the runtime uh, side of the project on both iOS and and on Android, you know, be completely transparent and open source. And essentially, all we're selling is the build time, yeah, you know, transpilation yeah, tool. Great, 
Um, is there anything here that we haven't covered that you want to make sure gets included? Well, one thing that we do want to sort of more or less announce, we haven't really publicly announced it, although we might by the time the podcast is uh, is released, is that we are planning on, you know, we're, we're going to be charging for the skip transpiler. It'll be a per developer annual fee. Uh, but we are going to have it be free for people who are writing free open source software uh, for publication. So anyone who is writing any, you know, app or any app module, any Swift module, and wants to be able to transpile that into, um, you know, onto the Android side and Kotlin, then they can use Skip, you know, completely free. They can get a free uh, license or, um, you know, you know, um, do more or less anything they want with it, as long as they release it under a free software license. Fantastic. And, and thank you for doing that. Something I tell the, the listeners all the time is support the folks that make the tools that enable you to do your job. You know, we are blessed and lucky that there are so many free available tools, folks like yourselves who have, uh, you know, systems and licensing in place to make it possible to use them uh, for free. But I also believe that we should support folks that make our tools because uh, you, you know, you put a lot of time and effort and, you know, as we say with a lot of things, um, you know, a lot of things are free to consume. They're not necessarily free to produce. So, um, you know, I, I hope that you get from this, um, you know, what you're looking for to, to keep the project, you know, around for a very long time. Because I feel like this is one of those uh, situations where it's a project is invaluable to the right folks. And that's a lot of people, right? You know, we don't live in a world now where we have the luxury of, oh, well, we have an Android team, we have an iOS team, we have a, you know, React team, whatever it may be. And we all have to wear multiple hats. So anytime there are tools available to help us do that job easier and um, take advantage of the skills that we have and, and build on those, you know, I think is important as well and certainly helps with adoption of, you know, technologies like this. Yeah, I was going to say that that's really one of the our big, you know, motivators was that in both of our experience, we've seen, you know, apps that are developed in parallel for both iOS and for Android and Kotlin and Swift or in Objective-C and Java. Um, and they cannot be done with a small or single person team. It's con inconceivable. Um, I don't know, Abe might be able to speak to the size of the Twitter teams that, you know, were, were doing these in parallel. I would just say that they were large. <laughs> and so, you know, but, but we think that that's really the best experience, right? Like Apple says the best experience is using Swift UI for iOS apps. And Google says the best experience for Android is using Jetpack Compose. You know, it's unambiguous what the platform vendors are recommending. And so how do we simplify the life of the developer who wants to follow that guidance, right? Like how can we get, you know, the one or two or three person team to be like, we want the ideal, absolutely, bet, you know, best in class experience for users on both these platforms. You know, you really need, you know, once you get past that small team level, you really start, you know, spreading out in terms of, um, you know, the management overhead and the size of the teams. So we're really trying to really trying to bring best in class development to, you know, to small, you know, lightweight teams. We, we've also, at least, um, I have found it to be a fantastic uh, learning tool. <laughs> Coming from primarily the iOS side, uh, my previous Android experience was uh, some time ago. Um, being able to write uh, an iOS app and then see how it becomes an Android app, see the Kotlin, you know, seeing just the output uh, equivalent Kotlin for my Swift, fantastic way to learn Kotlin. <laughs> uh, seeing how certain composed things are implemented you know, fantastic, uh, that are equivalent to a Swift UI component is a fantastic way to learn Compose. So uh, we're hoping to appeal to a lot of people who not only want to develop, you know, their cross-platform apps and, and see this as sort of something that's just going to save them an, an amazing amount of time, but also people who are, might be familiar with iOS development or who, or who want to start with iOS development, as most apps do. And that's me right there. And, and I'm sure it is a lot of folks because as much as we'd like to, you know, think that we have, all the time in the world for things, right? Um, 
you know, when it comes down to it, especially when you're working on projects that are company driven, um, product driven, whatever it may be, is anything that's, you know, there's a lot of things you do just for fun, right? Um, but anything that has a timeline or a budget attached to it, uh, we don't have the luxury of, well, I'll just go away for a few days and become back and, and be a Kotlin expert now. Right. So, you know, for me, with my background being um, primarily iOS, it's great when there's something that enables me to to look at something like Kotlin without having to sit there for, you know, doing the to do app for, for days on end. And if I can take what I know and and then start working there, you know, on, on some other platform um, like Kotlin in this case, let's say. That often ends up with me being so curious about, oh, you know, I I thought it was going to be terrible, but actually this is kind of interesting, that that I end up diving further in and, and like you say, crossing, you know, sort of crossing the street to, okay, now, now I really want to know a lot more about Kotlin and, and how this works. Because a lot of the time that teaches me to be better at my main uh, language platform that I use, right? Um, and, and I think that more and more I find folks kind of the same way. It's like, how can, can I use what I know to, to get started with this? You know, so that, that that's another very important thing right there. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, a lot of more or less any technology that's going to get you to the point of releasing an app for both iOS and Android is going to eventually force you to go through some degree of native tooling, you know, Xcode and, you know, Android Studio or, or you know, some other set of IDs. Um, and so, you know, we felt like kind of surfacing that near to the developer and not sort of like sweeping it under the rug is really important because you are building and running a Kotlin app on Android. We can't pretend that you're not. Like this is the experience we, we think is best, you know, for, for the end user of the application. Um, and so you really need to have a variety of ways to interact with that, you know, directly, like either, you know, in these if skip blocks that are embedded or in, you know, separate Kotlin files or in importing entirely native Kotlin or Java, you know, Java modules straight into your Gradle project. Um, these kind of stepping stones that that enable people to you know who might be coming from a very swift centric ios centric world kind of expand broaden their horizons because if they want to release an android app they're going yeah. to need to know all about yeah it. it's that last 10 percent, right um you know i was having this conversation with someone the other day yeah. and they were using some um some other technologies to to build an ios app and then they got to the point where they were like, okay, right now I'm ready to, to build it for iOS. And of course, as you know, they, they exported it, loaded it into Xcode. And as we all know, you know, if it's the first time you've ever done this, the first thing you hit is what's a profile, what's a certificate, and how on earth do I sign this code? And what does that mean anyway? Yeah. You've, you've saved me the heartache of a lot of the development. But I, as the author of the app, still have to know and understand how to get that in the store and what that means, because it's, it's important that you have, you know, those building blocks, because in, invariably one day something happens and you're going to have to, you know, it's not going to be the code. It's going to be some weird thing in the store, some new permission. And you can't just bypass learning some of those things, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's been, you know, I'd say things have improved somewhat since 2009 when we first started doing this, but there's just still a lot of, complexity and a lot of you know stages to go through to get to the la that last mile of publication um that you know maybe someday someone will solve that problem or <laughs> perhaps we will at some point um but it's a it's a it's a very difficult well, you, one and, and when you solve that last 10 percent for us all we'll send you a lot of thank you cards don't worry but we'll definitely do that for you all right well this has been fantastic this is such an exciting project to me and and pulls like this because not only does it stretch me as a developer, but it enables me to do things that, you know, maybe something I'm never able to do, right? I'm certainly not going to sit down and learn, you know, Kotlin and, and write pure Kotlin apps unless the industry demands it or career change or something like that. So, um, you know, again, guys, thank you so much for this project. I know it's in the early stages, but it really feels good. I recommend to, to anyone listening, um, pull down the repo, follow the very simple instructions and give this a go, even if you don't think it's something you're going to use today, because once you see this, 
And once you see it working, it feels like something that us as developers, you're like, I, I just got to play with this, even if I'm not going to build an app with it now, but it's going to register with you. So, you know, Abe and Mark, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for putting, you know, this tool out in the world for us. Um, go ahead and, uh, you know, give give the folks uh, all the links and, and that. We'll put them all in the show notes for everybody. Um, but please go ahead. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us, Peter. This has been a, a super fun. A really good conversation. Um, and yeah, as he says, uh, you can visit visit our website at skip.tools. Um, and there you can see, you know, intro videos, get very simple, you know, get get up and running uh, instructions. You know, if you've got, you know, a Mac with Xcode running, it's really just a couple more steps. And then you'll have your app running side by side and Swift UI on iOS and in Kotlin and uh, Compose on Android. That's pretty much all we have to say. Yeah, I'd like to thank you as well. It's been a really fun conversation. And I'm glad you're excited. We're certainly excited. It's been a dream of ours to sort of leverage our iOS expertise to be able to publish Android apps as well. And we hope that the community, uh, you know, enjoys the experience as much as we do. Yeah, thank you so much. And again, thank you so much for your time. We spoke uh, before recording, you know, and I've been so excited to, to sit down with you guys and talk about this. Folks, yeah, you know, go to skip.tools. Uh, like again, you know, sh links in the show notes and um, reach out to Mark and Abe and, uh, you know, help them make this something that uh, you need it to be to to get this, you know, these projects up and running. I'm always telling folks, support the folks that make these tools. They put a lot of time and effort into these. And, you know, clearly um, this is one of those projects they greatly, deeply care, care about. You've heard how long they've been working on it. Um, let's keep them going out there, right? Let's show them that, you know, show them some love and say thank you for these projects and try it out. Give them your feedback. I'm confident that they will take that feedback on board and, and have a discussion with them. So that's what we got here today, folks, and uh, give it a go, and we will see you in the next episode.